Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. That's what I've got on my heart. Just going to talk to. We're just going to talk to each other, or talk to talk about being a guy, being a man. And uh, look back in the Book of Genesis, and we kind of find out what the Lord's idea of what uh, a biblical manhood looked like. And uh, you know, that's something that's kind of being lost today. Pretty simple, I mean, if you think about it. But however, I think whenever we reclaim it and we live in it, we probably get the most out of what life's all about. We become the better husbands, better fathers, and uh, all that for it. Okay, I want to read two verses in Genesis chapter 1. We'll look in verses 26 and 27. The Bible says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. The Bible says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Now here's what we know. We know that he's talking about the creation of Adam and Eve. Of course, Adam first. So that means that Adam would have been the first model of what a man was, right? He would be what we would understand in our vernacular as the prototype of a man. And uh, he was God's prototype of a man. And contrary to popular belief, you know, being a man, uh, my sons think being a man is about growing facial hair. <laughs> Here's what you and I know. That ain't got nothing to do with being a man. I mean, a man. I, there's a lot of guys that don't grow facial hair that don't fit the bill of being a man very well at all. And, uh, and it's more than physical strength. It's about, it's about finding out what God intended for a man to be and be in that man, okay? And that's what we're just going to do. We're just going to look at the life of Adam for just a little bit. Matter of fact, we're going to stay right here in Genesis, just the first few verses here, and uh, we're going to look at what I, I entitled this session, God's Prototype of a Man. I mean, just, this is what Adam was. God made him this way, and this is what biblical manhood looks like. And so this is what we want to strive to be. And uh, let's ask the Lord to help us tonight as we pray, okay? Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, Lord, to speak to the men our brothers in Christ, and Lord, tonight, we don't have it all figured out. We're, we're not the model, but your word gives us the model, the first man, Adam, the prototype of your uh, creation. And I pray, God, as we look at some specifics in his life, that we will look at it as uh, what your will was and still is for manhood today. And uh, may we strive to be this kind of man, and we know it'll make us a better uh, servant to you, a better father, a better husband all-around better believer. I pray you'd help us. In Jesus' name we ask, amen and amen. Well, biblical manhood is, is a lot different than what modern manhood is out in the world. And as we dive in the scripture tonight and just take a few minutes to look at this man by the name of Adam, we'll find out what God intended for man to be. And I use the term prototype in my title, entitling this session, God's Prototype of a Man. And the word prototype, by definition, simply means that from which other forms are developed or copied. And so God said, okay, this is the first man, and all other men that come from that are going to be a prototype. He's going to be the prototype. They're going to be copies and or some form of this. We're better acquainted with the term prototype uh, whenever you're talking about automobiles or maybe consumer products. Every year in Michigan or whatever, you know, they roll, roll out the prototypes of uh, automobiles from different brands, cars that are concept cars, things that maybe. Uh, you know, may, maybe they'll put to market in the future. They see what kind of reaction they get from society. And I don't know, I'm not a big car guy, but they put out some pretty cool stuff. And uh, some of that stuff you see in magazines, you're like, man, I hope that hits the market. I'd love to see that on the highway. We couldn't afford it, but I'd love to see it on the highway anyway. I mean, somebody can drive it. And uh, so we kind of get acquainted with prototypes like that. They roll them out at trade shows. And the sad part is, is that 
is that very rarely do you see one. I mean, every once in a blue moon, one will actually hit the market. It'll become what is sold to you and I or people we know anyway with a bunch of money. And, uh, and so we get to see them, but, but, but it's very rare. And may I say tonight that, that when God rolled his prototypical man out in the book of Genesis, since the fall, society has seen less and less of that man. As a matter of fact, in Genesis chapter, I'm excuse me, Psalms chapter 12 and verse 1, the psalmist David uh, cried this way. He said, help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. So in David's day, there was a cry out that God, the, the man, that you, the way you design man to be seems like he's scarce these days. There's not a lot of them. And so there was a cry there because the prototype seemingly had begun to disappear. Now, what it means to be a man is a very, very diverse subject. Uh, it's different in different areas of time. You know, most of you are, I guess, not most of you, but some of you. How many of you were alive in the 50s? Already born, I was born in the mid-70s, so we have men here that remember what manhood looked like in the 50s. Very defined roles in the home, very defined roles in society. You fast forward to today, and after the feminist movement has caught hold and had an effect on our society for the last 30 or so years, you know that manhood looks a lot different today than it did back in those days. And uh, so things have changed a lot. So manhood looks different in different areas of time, and it looks different in different cultures. I mean, and since it can be so diverse, the best thing for us to do as God's people is to go back and look at the prototype and see, you know, what did God intend for manhood to actually be? And so that's what we want to do for just a, for, for a few minutes tonight. I'm not interested in political correctness tonight. I am interested in biblical accuracy. That's where we get our strength from, and that's where we understand the will of God. So let's just dive in tonight. I will give you four or five things about Adam as a created prototype of a man that you and I can look to for guidance and direction. The first thing we understand about God, God's design for this prototype of a man is that in verse 26, we realize that God gave him divine likeness. Notice what the Bible says. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God's the prototype of a man. What God designed manhood to be like is that you and I would be a representation of him. We're made in his image. We're made after his likeness. You know, and as men, we usually gauge our manlyhood or our manliness as we compare ourselves to other men. Paul said it was very unwise to do that. As a matter of fact, in the book of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 12, Paul said this, For we dare not to make of ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring th- themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. In other words, it, it does no good for us to compare ourselves among our peers because that's not what the prototype of manhood is. The prototype of manhood is what God created there in the Garden of Eden. We tend to look at our peers and we we judge ourselves in categories like our physique. You know, I mean, are we, are we the specimen of a male that, that is somewhat better than the others in our peer group? Sometimes we judge ourselves amongst our peers in our earnings. Maybe it's on our achievements. Maybe it's even on the, the, the wife we married. Did we get the beauty or whatever the case may be? We've got a lot of different criteria that we use to stack up and measure our manhood by. But the problem with that is this right here, that our, our peers and uh, our place among them, they are not the measuring stick for successful manhood. You could be completely head and shoulders above your peers in every category that seems to be important to man and really be a failure in the eyes of God. That's not, our, that's not the model. The model is the man uh, that, that, that God made. So here's the question tonight uh, when it comes to this, this thing of being a man and, and me being created uh, to have divine likeness. The question is, how Christ-like am I? 
And that is the real question as a man tonight, whenever we're looking at our manhood, because it's going to make us better husbands, better fathers, better servants all the way around, the more Christ-like that we are. So the first question you've got to ask and answer when you're considering your manhood and how Christ-like are you, how are you living up to the divine image you were created in is first, do you know him? I mean, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Um, just because we're sitting in church tonight, I don't take for granted that everybody in here has a personal relationship with Jesus. We're living in a day and time where the greatest area of evangelistic opportunity is probably inside the walls of the American church. One of the reasons the church in America is so powerless today is because there are so many that are sitting inside the walls that have a religion without a relationship. So, fellas, and and I'm just trying to be honest with you today, the greatest thing you can ever do, there's no need to strive to do anything the Bible teaches until you know the author. Are you genuinely born again? That matters. I'm going to say this. If you're not genuinely born again, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, what you hear out of this book is going to be crazy. And the attempt to live up to it is going to wear you down to nothing because you'll do every bit of it in the work of the flesh and none of it in the power of the spirit which lives inside of every genuine born again believer. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.14 that the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them for they are spiritually discerned. I promise you this, not just in what we talk about in this conference but in what you hear from this pulpit on a regular basis. If you are unregenerate, it is going to be unappealing to you. It'll be asked to you because you're natural and therefore you have no understanding of it or desire to adhere to it. So before you can ever be Christ-like, you have to have a relationship with the Savior. Number two, ask yourself this question. If you look there in in your Bible, you would find this out about our Lord uh, when it comes to being Christ-like. Ask yourself the question, do I work like him? I mean, we are created to be a, a, a working species. I mean, that's what God created us to do. I mean, in the book of Genesis chapter 20, he laid down a law to the nation of Israel. We touched on a little bit last night that they would work for six days. And we're living in a day and time where uh, it seems like the work week keeps getting shorter and our society keeps going downhill for it. <laughs> you know why we got so many young people in trouble? They got too much time on their hands. <laughs> you got to get up in the morning and break a day and go work so you're so tired you got to crawl back home and get into bed. And if you do that four or five, six days a week, you ain't going to be in no trouble much at all with the law. All right? And most of them, many of you older guys are shaking your head like, yep, yeah, that's what I've been doing my whole life. And it keeps your nose clean, right? Ask yourself this question concerning your divine likeness. Do we act like Jesus? I don't know about you, but I don't all the time. I fall short. I've got a long way to go. But I, but I think about the example that he said. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, concerning our divine likeness as men. Uh, for herein even to were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. You know what our job is as men? We should, we should, we should study the steps of Jesus and, and look to emulate them. When you do that, if you were to continue reading there in 1 Peter chapter 2, in the next two verses, here's what you'd find out about what the Bible says about him. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Being a godly man may mean sometimes you walk away from situations where you'd like to get a pound of flesh. I don't know about you, but we're living in a society that tempts us and that can test you as you work out and live in the society uh, that is around us. And so there may be some times where you and I have to act like Christ 
and, and know I need to walk away from this. I mean, would it feel better not to walk away? Sure, sometimes it would, but it's not going to leave a good testimony. And so we've got to ask ourselves the question, do I act like Jesus? Now, don't misunderstand me today. Just because Christ walked away sometimes from being reviled or persecuted does not mean that he was not a man's man. You can find times in the Bible where uh, he didn't walk away. He turns tables over in the temple whenever he found that they had turned his father's house, which was designed to be a house of prayer, into a den of thieves. He had a very, a very take charge and manly side to him, but he was also very soft and gentle whenever it comes to the right situations and circumstances. Lastly, when it concerns our divine likeness as men, here's the question, do we love like him? The Bible teaches you and I in the book of Ephesians, and I alluded to this while ago, chapter 5, verse 25. He said, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You know what we learn about Christ when it comes to his relationship with the church? We learn how patient that he is. He's very patient with the church. Uh, he's very long-suffering with the church. He's very faithful to the church. He's very affectionate toward the church. And so when it comes to Adam and his creation, we understand tonight that as a prototype of a man, that he was created with divine likeness. And so our job or, or what we should be doing is not measuring ourselves uh, to the greatest peer that we can find, but it's measuring ourselves against the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. When you do that, you'll always find room for growth and room for change. Secondarily there, are you still in Genesis chapter 1? Look with me if you would. We see after seeing this prototype has a divine likeness, we also see this, that God gave him a license to dominate. What's what the Bible says in verse 26? And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And here comes the domination. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all on the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Now, I want to say something here and listen closely. This has nothing to do with your personality. It does not matter whether you're an alpha or a beta or all those kind of personality tests and what they supposedly you know, show about who, what kind of personality. God said let them, and that means every man has a license to dominate. God, it, when it comes to, the, to, to what was in the world at that time, said I want man to be the supreme creation. I want him to dominate over everything else, all the animal kingdom. Man is to dominate that. And can I say this right here, that you and I have a license to do just that, dominate. Not be a victim, but be a victor. Too many men inside the family of God are living life like a victim. And God said, that's not my will for you. I want you to be a victor. I want you to rise up above the circumstances of life and start dominating them instead of being dominated by them. Now, the Bible says uh, later in Scripture that Adam subdued some things. That means that he dominated basically everything that he come in contact with. And here are some things you and I need to start dominating as men in our life. First of all, we need to start dominating our difficulties. Life's going to be hard at times. There are going to be some difficulties that come along, okay? And whenever that happens, we can't say things like, oh, this is just too hard, wave the white flag and tap out. We need to rise to the occasion and say, and in your heart and mind, say, you know, God didn't want me to be dominated by the difficulties of life. God wants me to dominate, so I'll be a praying man. I'll be a man that follows God's will. I'll love my Lord and let him lead me through the difficulties of life. Come out the other side, not waving the white flag of surrender. I may come out bleeding, and with some scars on me, but I'll come out a victor on the other side. We need to dominate our difficulties. Number two, we need to learn to dominate discouragement. You will not find Adam walking around with a defeatist mentality. 
Now, discouragement is, is something that, according to your mental disposition, it affects people in different ways. Some people have a natural disposition to look at things from a negative perspective, and because of that, they live in a lot of discouragement. Can I say this? It's why the Bible tells us things like this, to think on things that are, if there be anything pure and holy and just and right. You've got to change sometimes the way you see the world and the way you approach the difficulties of life and, and get to the place where you can dominate your discouragement and not be dominated by it. God created us to win in that regard. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The next thing that we are, have a license to dominate in life is danger. Think about this. David said in the book of Psalms, chapter 144, that God had taught his hands to war and his fingers to fight. I'm afraid we're living in a day and time, and this is just, this is just a kind of an offhanded comment here, but well, offhanded, not bad, but don't get nervous, Pastor, okay? We're living in a day and time where if something goes bump in the night around the house, the wife may be sent to check on it as quickly as the man is. Yeah. That's, not the, that's not the way God designed it to be, right? We're supposed to be dominating danger. We're not supposed to live our lives scared to death. Now, it's change are changing in our society. I don't know what your concealed carry laws are up here in Pennsylvania, but back home, you know, we, we have pr- pretty allowable ones, I guess you could say. Yours is stricter? Easier. Okay, well, then you should be okay then. <laughs> danger shouldn't be a problem. You should be locked and loaded with an extra clip in your back pocket, right? Just in case. <laughs> and we should dominate other things too, like our debt. We're living in a day and time where kids my age, I say kids, I mean guys in their, and I'm, I'm 40, I'll be 46 here and if the Lord lets me live to December. My generation is the generation that got married and thought they should have in six months what our parents took 25, 30 years to get. And so guys my age and younger are being dominated by debt and it's created a whole lot of problems uh, in, in, in our culture for, for Christian men. Can I say this? The best way to keep your debt in check is keep your covetousness in check. Live inside your means. Know what you can afford, right? Just because your buddy on the job gets a new truck every two years don't mean it's necessarily the right thing for you to do. Your budget may not allow that. You may have friends that, you know, in their hobbies, whether it's hunting or whatever, they may drive new four-wheelers. You might have to walk to the stand. <laughs> but you know what you can afford and what you can't. And, and you can get in trouble trying to keep up with people that have a different set of financial, I guess you could say, uh, means than you do. And then you also don't know whether they live paycheck to paycheck, hand to mouth, or whatever the case may be. So we need to learn to dominate our debt and not be dominated. And lastly, we need to learn how to dominate our desires. I'm talking about living a victorious life, dominating things. So many of us are beat to death day in, day out with our personal lust. James said it this way in James 1, verses 14 and 15. He said, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. When lust hath conceived, he said, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin is finished, it brings forth death. We are living in a society that uh, everywhere you look, everywhere you turn, there's temptation on every hand. And unfortunately, there's a lot of Christian men who are being beat up continually because they're dominated by their desires. I want to say this to each and every one of us in the building tonight. If you have an area of your life that is a weakness, you have to learn how to navigate through those troubled waters. We're living in the day of the smartphone. I don't know. It's not making us any smarter. But I'll tell you one thing it is doing. It is allowing us a lot more opportunity to get into trouble. It really is. And the guys, the generation behind me, are having an even greater opportunity because they're being exposed to it a lot sooner than 
than we were. And for those of you that are older than I am, you remember the days where it was hard to find things that could tempt you in the arena of promiscuity. It's not hard anymore. If they got a phone in their pocket, you're one click away from possibly starting a habit that may follow you the rest of your life. Just a click here or a click there. And so we find that men are being dominated by their desires. In other words, what I'm saying is this, it's time, guys, if we're going to dominate the way God wants us to, it's time to take control of some things. It's time to let life, we've got to quit letting life run us over and kick us around. We've got to start getting control of our marriages, our children, our finances, our schedule, our health, all the things that affects the man that we are. We need to learn how to dominate it and not allow it to dominate us. Number three, if you're note, taking notes, you can write this down. Concerning God's prototype of a man, we've seen so far that God gave the first man a divine likeness. He gave him a license to dominate. And then in verse 15, he gave him a daily livelihood. The Bible said, The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. In other words, God gave him a job. <laughs> now, I'm looking at a generation of seasoned men in here who ain't, you can tell you guys aren't afraid to work, right? I'm afraid that my generation thinks that retirement age should be somewhere around about 40, 45. <laughs> and guys coming behind me, you can't afford to think it comes earlier because it don't come earlier. Matter of fact, here's what's going to happen, the exact opposite. Uh, I think my dad was able to retire at 65. They tell me it's 69 to 70-ish, and then probably my kids never. <laughs> okay, yeah, we, that's the direction we're heading, right? So we might as well learn to work and like it. I, I tell my sons, I said, boys, I said, best thing you can do is if you're going to be in the workforce for 45, 50 years, you better find something that fits two modes of criteria. Number one, it'll be good if you don't mind doing it or like it. And number two, that it pays you well. <laughs> Those are two things you want to make sure of because you spend a lot of your life working, and it, it, the best thing to do is get the most yield out of what you do with your time, right? And uh, there's nothing in the Bible that says to be a child of God, you got to be you know, living on minimum wage and on the bottom of the barrel. So I said, you know, put in the work. Uh, when you're young, learn a trade, go to school, find out what you want to do. And then that way, when you put your hand to it, you know, you're getting paid well. You can support your family. And uh, most importantly, you hope that you don't mind going in. But, but understand this, that some people, and maybe it's just in the South, people in the church in the South seem to think that, like, work is part of the curse. And it's not. There was work before there was a curse. Now, the curse made work harder. That's what the Bible says. But there was work before there was a curse. And matter of fact, if you study what heaven's going to be like, it is not going to be a place of glorified hobbies. Now, I'm serious. Yeah, it's hard to believe, right? Down south, I mean, they think, they think that, you know, heaven is going to be glorified deer stands and everybody shoots a 16-point buck, except it never dies. You shoot it again the next, the next day and you fish in the River Jordan and you, everybody's catching 14-pound bass. Of course, it's always catch and release, you know, in heaven. Everybody's got, you know, four-wheelers with gold rims. I mean, that's kind of heaven because that's the hobby they like the most, right? The truth of the matter is that heaven's a place of activity. It's a place of service. There's actually labor that goes on uh, in heaven. And I hope I didn't take your heaven away from you when I said that. All I'm saying is this. We were created to work. And, 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 and the, the sooner a man marries that in his mind, the better off he's going to be. And so it's about, it's about having a livelihood. Matter of fact, the Bible gets pretty, pretty strong in its language about a man that won't work. The Bible even goes on in 1 Timothy 5, 7 and 8 and says this right here, that if any man provide not for his own, meaning his family, he is worse than an infidel and denied the faith. 
I'm afraid that uh, our, our governmental system is contributing to the delinquency of a nation whenever it is it's letting the, 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 the 50% or so that will and want to work take care of the other percentage that don't. We do not do each other. We don't even do the family of God a, any kind of a... It's the one thing to have a, have a hardship. It's one thing for life to strike you down with a disaster or maybe a physical ailment. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about able... There's nothing that bothers me more. This happens in our town now regularly. Unfortunately, you pull up to a, a stoplight or a stop sign, mostly a stoplight is in town, and there's a guy out there with a sign uh, you know, about something that happened to him. And, um, and just so you know, it didn't, okay, as these things get checked out. And he's standing in between two or three hiring, now hiring signs, begging for money. You know, and if I wasn't a pastor, I would handle that a whole lot differently. But since I'm a pastor, I have to really, you know, I just don't usually say anything. I don't contribute to his delinquency by giving him any money. But I just want to ride up sometime, roll my window down and say, hey, look down, cuz. <laughs> At your feet is the answer to all your problems, you know. 60 hours a week, it would take long. You wouldn't, you'd have a place to live. You'd have, you'd have a little food in your belly, a little, little roof over your head. It wouldn't take much. Just go grab it and growl. That's what the rest of us are going to do right now, right? And so we see that there, uh, well, he was created with a daily livelihood. It's, it's part of who we are. If it wasn't for hardworking people, we wouldn't have the blessing of living in the country we live in. And I want to say this, if it wasn't for hardworking saints of God, we would not be where we're at in the church age we're living in. There's a lot of pioneers that went on before us and blazed a lot of hard trails and worked hard so that we could have the heritage that we have even spiritually here in our country. Number four, if you want to look with me, and we're almost finished. There's only five uh, this, this, this evening. The, the fourth thing we see about this prototype of a man that God gave him, number one, he gave him divine likeness. Secondarily, a license to dominate. Thirdly, a daily livelihood. But he also gave this man defined laws. Notice this, the Bible says in verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man. Now here's why that's part of manhood. You've got to realize this right here. God created the first man to take orders. From him first, and then later it would be from others in societal structure. We are created in that way. That's the way God's order of the universe works best. I mean, if you were to study your Bible, you're going to have a hard time getting past Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, and then being a rebel to all kinds of authority. It just does not work that way. I mean, we have governmental authority. We have societal authorities. We even have church authorities, okay? And God has created things to be ordered in, in society in that manner. There are people, most people, listen to this, most people that have a problem with church authority don't have a problem with work authority. When they go get a job, if that job pays well, they'll be like, oh, yeah, I mean, I don't have a better problem at all. My boss man tells me what to do. And I mean, because by what he pays me, if he says jump, I say how high. But they'll get on the highway and they'll be going 10, 15 miles an hour over the speed limit and they'll get mad at the state patrol for pulling them. Well, that's the authority. He keeps us safe on the highway. Matter of fact, as a Christian, we should never, in front of our children, especially badmouth the cop for pulling us unless there was for no reason. And that usually don't happen, right? I mean, if he pulls you over, right, and you're 10, 12 miles over the speed limit, it isn't the time to get huffy and puffy with him, mad with him. It should be more than anything when he walks up to your window and says, uh, let me ask you a question, sir. Why were you going X miles over the speed limit? There is no good reason, your officer. None. I'm just being a knucklehead today. <laughs> You know, and I'm not going to ask for mercy if you, you know, just here's my license, here's my registration. Throw yourself at the courts, okay? <laughs> and then whenever he comes back with a pink slip, thank you, sir, for doing your job. Yeah. That's not the treatment they get. No. 
and from God's people even. You know what I'm saying? We get mad at them for doing their job. And uh, we have a problem with authority. And can I say this right here? That Listen, the reason it's important that you have the right heart and mindset about authority is because as a man in your home, God gave you a measure of leadership. That's a biblical principle. But listen to this. A man that can't follow authority isn't qualified to have any. And a man that can't follow authority most likely would be a tyrant with his authority. And so God created the first prototype of a man and gave him some defined laws. And here's what you and I know. In reality, Adam, without the influence of his love for his wife, most likely would not have broke that first law. The Bible teaches that Eve was in the transgression. That means that she got, she was subdued into it. She was taken advantage of in her heart, in her mind, by the subtle serpent. Adam walked right into it with his eyes wide open. Can I say this, that the way we obey authority says a lot about our manhood. Anybody can, can be a rebel, but it takes a real servant to just find out, okay, where are the, where are the boundaries, Lord? Where are the boundaries? We live, in a, in, we live in a nation that has governmental authority that I'm supposed to adhere to, right? And then we have local authority. And as I said earlier, we have church authorities. And it's funny, as, as a young man in ministry, um, I had to submit to authority before I ever became a man that God would hand in the authority to. Can I say this? In your families, your, your wife, your children... They know how you respond to authority. And so it's almost hypocritical not to respond to authority properly, but then expect our families to respond to our authority in a proper way. So he gave him defined laws. Lastly, I'll give you this and I'm finished. In verse 24, the last thing we see about the prototype of a man is that God made him a dedicated lover. What's what the Bible says. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. God's word is very clear. His desire for a man is to be a loyal, loving husband. Now, this is a stark difference <clears throat> than what our society says manhood looks like. Our society today says real men are promiscuous, right? I mean, they say, you know, if the real man, he's got a black book. It's got a bunch of numbers in it. Oh, yeah, he might be married. Maybe he's not. But, I mean, you know, if he's a traveling man for his job, every town he goes into, he's got a mistress. God said, no, nah, that's not my prototype of a man. I want him to be a one-woman man, okay? I want him to get married. I want him to love that woman, be loyal to that woman. That's why in Hebrews 13, 4, the Lord said this, marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but adulterers and whoremongers, God said he would judge. Very serious, Okay. And what you'll note about Adam is just right here in, in the story of his creation. Adam is not cleaving, which means to be made one with. He's not cleaving to his hobbies. He's not cleaving to his buddies. He's not cleaving to sports or his job. Even his children, he's cleaving to his wife. Can I say this? What will make you and I a model, a prototype of that man God created would be that we love our wives the way that Adam loved Eve. And that's what God wants for us. He designed the family structure for us. And can I say that, and, and again, it's probably like this everywhere. I'm, I'm, I assume, I'm assuming that it is. 
But back home, it's not, it's not uncommon. It's getting more common. Matter of fact, I'll say this, it's getting too common for women to have to carry all the spiritual weight in the family. I, have, I, I pastor some precious ladies that if they had not brought their children to church for the entirety of the time I've known them, the family wouldn't be in church. And I'm afraid that we're living in a day and time where men have gotten spiritually lazy. But the prototype of a man loved his God and loved his wife. And one of the greatest ways he showed his love for his wife was in the way that he loved his God. Can I say this? This is God's desire for every man in, in the room that's married tonight. And this is something I always wanted for myself and for my family. When you get saved and you understand the responsibility that you have of leadership in your family, the only way you'll ever do that well is stick your nose in this book. You're going to have to stick your nose in this book and learn about the God of this Bible. And here's what you want to happen, okay? And I'll, your pastor wouldn't mind me saying this. I don't think it wouldn't offend him at all. But when your wife has a question about the Bible, you want her to come to you. If she, if she doesn't know what the answer she's looking for, you don't want to have to wait for him to get done preaching. You want her to come to you. You want your children, whenever they have biblical questions or need counsel for life decisions, we ain't got to wait to schedule a counseling session with a pastor. I, the man, I know the word. Let me sit you down and show you what the Bible says. And then if you can't find it, you go to the pastor, right? But it doesn't take nothing much more than just a dedicated servant spending some time in the word day in day out and over a course of five six seven eight years from being in preaching and reading your bible yourself and applying yourself you'll learn enough bible knowledge where you can lead your family and it's not that you cut your pastor out of the process but you're the man i mean i'll be honest with you it was a little bit selfish but it is at least i admit it but whenever we were a young married couple i didn't want my my wife to have to depend on our pastor if she had a question i wanted to answer her questions i wanted to be her hero yeah, I want her to think, man, my husband knows everything about the Bible. I don't know everything about the Bible now, but I wanted to fake it till I made it, okay? <laughs> but, 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 but I didn't want her to think, well, because here's one thing you got to realize. Regardless of what the question's about, over time, we all are designed where when we want something or need something, especially when it comes to knowledge, whatever source we go to, we build an admiration for that source. And every man in here deserves to have that admiration from your wife. Why? Because of laziness, just let somebody else have that. I'll just say it don't matter. The preacher, he'll answer all the questions. Oh, the Sunday school teacher, he'll answer all the questions. No, 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 no. I won't answer the questions. And so I want to stick my nose in this book, and I want to find out who God is so that I can be the dedicated lover that God designed me to be. So here's the prototype of the man, okay? The question is tonight is how close are you and I to that prototype? We want to be like it. I mean, he's the one. God rolled him out there in the Garden of Eden and said, all right, this is him. And all the other men that are created after this, all the men that will be born in this world, he said, this is the example. Go back to this one right here, right? And then ultimately Christ came and overrode all Adam's mistakes, and we looked to Jesus. But there was a prototype of a man, four or five different things God created us for. And I'm here to tell you, each and every one of you in this, in this room can excel in these. This is not too much. This is not too much. God is your helper. You can excel in these areas. And guess exactly what you
Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.